Well, good morning, Fervent Church. We are so glad that you're able to join us this morning. Just a reminder to fill out the Connect card above. There's a link for that. And would you just stand with us and worship this morning?
church. If we haven't met before, my name is Garrett, and I am the teaching and vision pastor here at Fervent Church. And if you would do me a favor, we're going through the book of Mark, and if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, and I'm going to read the scriptures, and then we're going to pray together. But as I'm reading the scriptures, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you want your life to count for something? I mean, I don't know too many people that don't want their life to count for something, but Jesus tells us that our life can count, right? That we don't have to live bankrupt lives. We don't have to live in spiritual poverty, but we can actually live in the supernatural and have abundant life. And so that is my hope and my prayer for us this morning. So Mark chapter 9 Beginning in verse 30, it says this. It says, John said to him, oh, excuse me, my bad. Verse 30, then they left that place and made their way through Galilee. But he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand the statement, and they were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, because on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. He took a little child, had him stand among them, and scooping him up or taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not just welcome me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Don't stop him, said Jesus, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. In Matthew, it actually switches it the other way around. Um, and whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ. Truly, I tell you, he will never lose his reward. But whoever causes one of these little ones that believe in me to fall away or to stumble, it would be better for him if he had a millstone tied around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to fall away or stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to fall away or, be, or stumble, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. By the way, that's talking about, you know, that's a, that's a correlation to Ezekiel chapter 42 or 43, I think, where they used to salt the sacrifice before they put it in, in fire. And also it's in Leviticus. Salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? 
Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is truth. God, would you speak to our hearts? Would you put us back on the straight and narrow path through your word? Will you help us to, to surrender everything to you and to live sent, to trust you for, for where we're struggling in our lives, to trust you for uh, economics and, and, and emotional and mental and physical problems and whatever may be going on in our life. Will we just be able to lay it at your feet and trust you in Jesus' name? Amen. Now, what is Jesus teaching here? What is he teaching us in verse 30 um, through 32? Well, he's teaching us kind of an overarching view of what it means to be a servant, to be the servant of all, to be the suffering servant, right? And he brings in uh, this, this concept through the death, burial, and resurrection and betrayal and torture of himself as the sacrificial servant and as the suffering servant and as the suffering, uh, excuse me, as the servant to all. Now, he's going to be dying on the cross for our sins. And so Jesus is showing them what it looks like to be last, to be the servant, right? To, to give up your life uh, and follow him. He's explaining to, the, to them the way of the cross and the way of the kingdom. And sometimes the way of the cross and the way of the kingdom, they, they, they represent suffering and they represent death. I mean, if you think about it, every disciple except John would, is going to be martyred for their faith. And so Jesus is showing them, look, guys, this, this is going to be a painful, painful process. The way of the cross, following me is not easy. Putting yourself last is not easy. Being the servant of all is not easy. It requires suffering. But there's something even more painful that he mentions here. Uh, and sometimes we forget about this part. Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's going to be betrayed by those he came to love and to serve, by those he came to die for. And worse, he's going to be betrayed by friends. And so if we look at this here, it's, yeah, it's going to end in a torturous death, but he's going to be betrayed. And guys, if you're going to follow close to Jesus, if you're going to be like Jesus, you are going to be betrayed as well. It's just part of the way of the cross. It's just part of the way of the kingdom. It is just part of the way of following hard after Jesus. And guys, I, I've learned a lot of things in my life. And one of the things that I've learned is, is, is the more we become like Jesus, the more we stand up for Jesus Christ and His righteousness, the more we stand up for what is right, the more we stand up for godliness, the more we stand up for the kingdom of God and the gospel, and the more we stand up for His word and we say, yes, this is the inerrant word. This is what I believe. This is what I base my life on. The word is truth. The more we stand up for truth, Guys, the more you will be ridiculed, the more you will be mocked, the more you will suffer, and the more you will be betrayed. Especially when you call out people on their sin or you talk about the truth of the scriptures and what and Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Have you ever noticed you can talk about God, right? You can mention God. Uh, and everybody's like, oh, into the conversation at a party or wherever. But you start talking about the death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that he's the only way, the truth and the life. Man, you will be ridiculed. You will be mocked even by those that are close to you, even by family members. You might experience this at Thanksgiving where people 
where you just, they just look at you like you're a fool or an idiot or they get mad and hostile towards you. Children, you know, and, and, and parents and friends and cousins and family members. And, and so the, this idea of being betrayed uh, and being mocked and ridiculed for the gospel's sake, for Jesus' sake, it's, it's a real deal. Matter of fact, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul's talking to Timothy. He says, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Bam. I mean, that's just brutal, right? Now, look at verse 32 with me for a second. It says, but they did not understand the statement and they were afraid to ask him. It's interesting. Why were they afraid? I mean, I don't know the, the, the true answer to why they were afraid, but last time Jesus was talking about his cross, you remember Peter, he stood up and said, not so, Lord, you're not going to the cross. And, and what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. And may, So maybe they were thinking about that. And so maybe that's what uh, made them afraid. But here's something that I want to be very clear about. God does not want us to be afraid to take anything and everything to him. We can come to him and say, God, I just don't get it. God, I just don't understand. God, I don't understand why, why I'm going through this. God, I don't understand your word and what you're trying to say to me, and I just don't understand. I mean, just pray to God and ask him, God, I, I, don't be afraid. Go to him and say, God, I just don't understand this scripture. Will you please reveal it to me? Will you please teach it to me? I mean, there's all kinds of, God, I don't understand what's going on in my life. God, I don't get it. Uh, God, would you just show up in my life? And, and so we, we boldly come. I love it what it says in, in Hebrews. It says, let us... Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. Because our Heavenly Father loves to give good gifts to His children. It's who He is. Okay, so we, we don't need to be afraid and these guys didn't get it. And so when he began to talk about being the suffering servant and laying down his life and being tortured and killed and, and brutalized and, and crucified for them. But he, he did put the good news on there, too. He said, for you and I will rise from the dead. But these guys just didn't get it. Verse 33 says this, he said, then they came to Capernaum, went in the house, and Jesus asked them what they were arguing about on the way, but they were silent because they were arguing among one another who would be the greatest. I'd be a little embarrassed too. I'd be like, oh yeah, we were arguing about, uh, well, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, it'd be kind of embarrassing if the King of Kings and the Lord of Glory were asking what you were already arguing about, and it was about puffing yourself up and about putting yourself first. And what does Jesus say? He says, he, he tells them, he says, look, guys, um, uh, uh, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. By the way, that word argument there, it means a heated argument. So they were in a heated discussion. They were arguing, hey, I, no, I'm going to be the greatest. No, dude, you don't understand. I saw Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, and it, so they're, they're, they're bickering and they're fighting and they're arguing about who is going to be the most powerful, that who's going to have the greatest position, that who's going to be the most significant, who's going to be the greatest. And that is what they're arguing about. And, and, and I mean, this isn't the only time that happened, okay? You remember when James and John, uh, they brought their mommy to Jesus, right? And they bring their mommy to Jesus. I mean, this is comical. How embarrassing, right? 
Mo mommy comes and she falls down on her, uh, on, her, on her knees and Jesus says, so what can I do for you? And she goes, oh, Jesus, can you uh, put my sons, James and John, and make them uh, first in the kingdom of heaven and put them uh, on your right side and your left side? And Jesus says, look, it, it doesn't matter uh, because the Father in heaven decides that. But here's what he says. He says, are they willing to drink the cup? of what I'm going to go through. And they're like, oh, absolutely. We can drink that cup, the cup of, 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 of the cross, of, of, of being tortured and murdered and betrayed and, and crucified and having the wrath of God and the sins of God and the judgment of God uh, poured out upon Jesus on the cross. And then Jesus and, and God the Father losing fellowship. Uh, why Jesus hung on the cross, because as he dumped the sins of the world on Jesus on the cross, God had to turn his back on Jesus and Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Proving that he is the servant of all. And Jesus said this to them. And, and, and as, they, as they kept walking, the 10 other disciples got indignant, it says, and got angry at the James and John for bringing their mommy to Jesus, trying to ask to be first uh, uh, at the right hand and the left hand. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says, he calls them over and he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentile lorded over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be, uh, excuse me, did, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So what does it look like to be last, to be servant of all? Well, Jesus explains it in verse 31. It says, you mean, <laughs> die. It means to be killed and betrayed and tortured and to pick up your cross and follow hard after Jesus. That's what it looks like to be a servant, right? It also looks like Jesus in the upper room. You guys remember that story. He girds himself and he, and he bows down in the upper room the night before he's crucified and he washes the disciples' feet. And here's the kicker, even Judas's. I mean, mind-boggling, right? It looks like someone that thinks more about, them, about others rather than themselves. The more, it looks like a person who's willing to give up their fame and their wants and their desires and their glory for everyone else to pick up their cross and follow Jesus and to consider others more important than themselves. It looks like somebody that gives up their rights to be right. I mean, wow, Jesus is telling that grace, uh, greatness, guys, that greatness is not measured by how many people serve you, but how many people you serve. And uh, I mean, I, I love the corporate model, right? You know, you have the CEO on the top and then you have the board of directors and then you have, you know, the CFO and the COO. And then, I mean, it goes down this list, right? And then you have your, 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 your directors and then your, your managers and then your supervisors and then your foremans. And then you get down to the lowly janitor on the, on the corporate org chart and he's down there at the bottom, but not so with Jesus guys. He flips that thing on its head. Now, if a CEO is serving uh, everyone, then of course, uh, that kind of throws that illustration out. But basically, it's the people on the bottom of Jesus' org chart, those that are last, 
that put others first, that die to themselves, that, that prefer others and, and their, their wants, their desires, and, and, and their success above their own. Those kinds of people, my friends, are the ones that become first in the kingdom of God. Now, um, there's something called uh, narcissistic personality dis disorder. Now, I'm not a big fan of disorders. Um, I think it's a label that um, a lot of times it, it should be, you know, you know, I have alcoholism, you know, disorder, right? Now, you're not an alcoholic. You're a drunkard and you, you know, need to quit getting drunk. You know, well, I have the, you know, I have the demon of adultery, you know. No, you uh, need to quit cheating on your wife. You know, I have a... I have a, a sexual sin disorder. No, you need, you know, you need to crucify your flesh. Uh, so so I, I'm real careful when I say uh, narcissistic personality disorder. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, the severity of the symptoms may vary. But they say a lot of people have these. And, and as I read this list, hopefully you don't notice any of these in yourself. But I guarantee you, you're going to notice a lot of them in other people. I mean, because I know a lot of people that describe what I'm about ready uh, to read to you. First, uh, somebody with NPD can, they have a, a high sense of entitlement and require constant excessive admiration. They exaggerate their achievements and talents, expect to be recognized as superior, even when their achievements don't warrant it. Believe they are superior and can only associate with equally special people. Monopolize conversations and belittle or look down on people they perceive as inferior. Expect special favors and unquestioning compliance with their expectations and, 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 and welcome no feedback. They become impatient or angry when they don't receive special treatment and then use all means at their disposal to get revenge. Take advantage of others to get what they want have an inability or unwillingness to recognize the needs and feelings of others, right? And are envious of others and believe others are envious of them. Behave in an arrogant or haughty manner, coming across as envious, conceited, boastful, prideful, and pretentious. Extremely prideful and self-focused, and I'll, I'll add right there, they worship the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I, okay? Uh, they are inflated sense of their own importance and take advantage of others for their own gains and needs. Have a deep need for excessive attention, admiration. Only reward you if you give, uh, if, if you give them excessive attention or admiration. Have significant interpersonal problems and troubled relationships. Uh, they have problems sustaining, satisfying uh, relationships either with others or God. Have a lack of empathy and compassion for others. Extremely unhappy and, dis uh, and disappointed when they're not given their special favors or their way or admira uh, admiration that they think they deserve. They easily feel slighted. Have great difficulty asking for forgiveness. Man, I know so many people that have great difficulty asking for forgiveness. I mean, maybe you know a lot of people like that too. They're not teachable. They're an expert about everything. Uh, no one enjoys being around them. They blame, and here's a kicker too, they blame shift, make excuses, and are always the victim. Hopefully none of those stood out to you. Um, I, I would be willing to bet that uh, we all know people that have at least five or ten of those 
Um, but it's sad. They're narcissists. They're self-focused. They, they, they think more highly of themselves than they ought. All the things that the Bible tells us not to do. See, Jesus is blowing that whole concept, that whole idea apart here, right in front of us. Those that want to be first will be last. Those that want to be greatest in the kingdom will be servant of all. Those that really want to succeed before God and man uh, will put God and others first. Let's see, I mean, it goes back to the greatest commandment. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? I mean, it, it breaks down to the simplicity of that. So let's look at verse uh, 36 and 37 together, okay? Uh, 36 says this, he took a child after he said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. He took a child in his arm and stood the, the child in the middle of them. Okay, can you imagine this illustration? Jesus is the king illustrator, right? And then after he sets them there, he takes them up or he scoops them up in his arms and he says to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but him who sent me. Wow, what a promise, guys. If we welcome little children, if we, if we pour into little children, if we love little children, and we, it blesses God the Father and God the Son, wow. And God welcomes us and receives us and blesses us uh, uh, because of this. Now, Jesus sets a precedent. You got to understand by setting this little kid in the middle and then scooping him up to use him as a testimony uh, or an illustration. Because back then, I mean, man, when the rabbi spoke, man, there couldn't be kids anywhere. I mean, it was like rabbi and disciples and learners and students, right? I mean, that was it. And if a little child got in the mist, I mean, they, they were strict as all get up. And so Jesus, man, he is welcoming the little children. You got to love that about Jesus, right? But I also think that this can be talking about new believers because, um, uh, uh, you know, I... I think it can be talking about new believers, and, and I'll get to that in a second. But, but why a little child, right? Why a child? Well, for many reasons, right? They're dependent. Um, they, they need the parent for, for everything. They need the parent for food, for support, for love, for guidance, for direction. Um, child, little children have this desire to please. But the biggest thing I think is why Jesus is using this is children are usually extremely humble. Have you ever noticed that? The, especially little children, they're, 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 they're humble. I'm not saying they're not sinners, okay? But Jesus uses them as an illustration as to what he wants his people to be. The very fact that they have to rely on the parent for everything is the exact same thing that a new believer needs to rely on God and the discipler, the people that are pouring into him, right, for everything. Okay, it's a, it's a constant abiding and reliance and dependence on our Heavenly Father, like a little child, humbly walking before God as a little child. He's saying, look, we have to become like these little children, dependent and humble, okay, uh, and relying on God for everything. So I, I'd like to ask the question, if, if we're to ask your coworkers or your wife or your friends or your family um, or, or, or whoever, um, if you are humble and a servant of all, what would they say, right? <laughs> what would they say? I mean, are we willing to embrace a dying world 
in the arms of Jesus, like he did this little child, scoop up people and say, you know, hey, walk in humility, right? Without selfish ambition, being the servant of all and scoop the world up in our arms like Jesus did and tell them that God loves them and has a plan for their life. I mean, I think this is just a huge opportunity um, for us to uh, just embrace the world and, and be like little children, dependent on our Heavenly Father, humble and, and relying on Him for everything and, and, and taking these, the, the, these believers and showing them the love of Christ and taking the world that's dying without Christ and showing the love of Christ. Uh, there was a, a, a church and a lot of my friends work at that church. Matter of fact, I was offered a position at that church before I went out and planted Mountain Springs Church. Um, that uh, they, they have something called uh, Do Something Ministry. And, and it's a book by Miles Fierson, McPherson called Do Something as well. But my, my friend Mickey, he's uh, one of the executive pastors there and the pastor of, of life there. And he was my disciple and my mentor. He told me a story about these two strippers that showed up on Sunday morning at their church and they get saved. And I mean, they get radically saved. They, they, they begin starting a ministry and they begin raising money to go into clubs and, and get lap dances from the, uh, the other women. And as they're getting lap dances, they begin to tell them and preach uh, Jesus to these, these women. They also set up booths at um, the porn convention and uh, they, had the, they had their stuff laid out and they, they offered prayer. Well, let me, let me back up. This ministry is 70 women strong now. Just saying, right? 70 women are involved in this ministry. I can't remember. I wish I could. I, I think it's God's, God's Girls or something. I can't remember it, but it's an awesome ministry that these two young ladies started. Well, one girl came up to the booth at this convention and she was weeping. And she said, I'm so hopeless and I want to kill myself. And anyways, they began to witness to her. They led her to Christ. And all of a sudden she realized like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that she was naked. And she asked for a shirt to cover her scantily clad body and got radically saved. And now she's part of this ministry. And so they were willing to go. And, and by the way, I know some of the men are like, yeah, I want to join that ministry. Shut up. Okay. No, no. This is a, woman, a ministry for women, right? Uh, and women only, okay? Just making that clear, right? But they, they, are, they are absolutely turning the world upside down because they were willing to go out and scoop up and take into their arms the, the God's little children and show them the love of Jesus Christ and revival is happening. Now, check this out. I can't remember if it's one of the clubs, and I think it is one of the clubs, or if it's a bar in town, but I'm pretty sure it's one of the clubs. They pipe in Miles McPherson on Sunday morning for a church service there now. So, I mean, God is just blowing up the world if we would be faithful and live sent and, and, and scoop up or take up the little children of the world in God's arms. Now, I, that was kind of, uh, I didn't expect to go there, but um, I went there. So, praise the Lord. I guess God wanted me to speak to somebody. Now, um, this narcissistic society that we live in and the self-focused and self-serving, God says, let it not be named among you. Uh, on the contrary, the great among you must be your servant because Jesus gave his life a ransom for money. And in verse 35, it says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and be servant of all, right? 
I mean, this was a foreign concept to the disciples. They were like, what, what, what are you talking about? I mean, later on, they, they argue about it again, and they're always, they're always buying for the, 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 the first place. And, and my goodness, I, I just pray to God this morning that it is not a foreign concept to any of you. That, 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 that this, 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 this doctrine of, of servanthood, of the suffering, sacrificial servanthood of Jesus Christ that we're supposed to be uh, living and, and it should be manifested in our life isn't foreign to you and that you would look for opportunities to serve, not be served. To, to be concerned about the needs and the wants and the desires of those others in the world and in the body of Christ uh, that we wouldn't be um, fighting and arguing over who is going to be Greatest, especially in the church, guys. God's sh people should never want to be served. You know, people show up and, I, man, that sermon better be good. The worship better be good. I'm, you know, I think it's what was Kennedy that says, uh, ask not what this uh, country can do for you, but what you can do for the country. Well, how about this? Let's ask what, uh, what, what we can do for the church and not the church can do for us or what we can do for Jesus and not what Jesus can do for us, right? Now, here's something I, I think is cool about people that look for opportunities on, uh, for people to serve, okay? I've realized something extremely important. People who serve and people who put others first and people who consider others more important than themselves are different. What do I mean? What's well, huge? What I've noticed about them is they don't seem to suffer as much with depression with hopelessness, with despair, with fear and worry and anxiousness. Uh, they're not despairing of life. On the contrary, they seem to have more joy and hope and peace and contentment than people that don't serve. I would say 95% of all the counseling that I've done, when people come in and I ask them some simple questions, right? Okay, um, you're hopeless, you're fearful, you're depressed, you're, you're despairing of life, you're, you're, you're worried, you're anxious, you're, you mean you got all these emotions going on in your life. Um, where are you serving right now? Uh, are, you in a, are you in a fervent group? Uh, do you give your time, treasures, and talents to Jesus Christ? Uh, I mean, it is um, 95%. I'm being gracious for the people that struggle. Uh, I'm giving a graciousness for the other 5%. But guys, I'm telling you, man, um, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was John Corson that said, I have the cure for depression and he, uh, uh, 10 simple steps. And he says, he says, uh, step number one, do something for somebody else. Step number two, do it nine more times. Right. Uh, so I, I mean, and again, I know there's a, a, psycho, a, 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 a philosophical dynamic to that, but 95% of people, um, this is the truth. And I can go to any church, right? I can go into any church, and I'll walk up to the servants of that church. Those that are laying down their life for the gospel. They're laying down their life for the local church. They're on mission for Jesus. They're living sent. And I can go up to the, those people that are laying down their lives for others and, and witness what spiritual condition they're in, what mental condition they're in, what, what emotional condition they're in, and what physical even condition sometimes they can be in. Because Jesus says it's more blessed to give and to receive. And I look at these people and they are so on fire for Jesus and so full of joy, so full of life, so full of peace, and so full of contentment. 
because they are yoked with Jesus. Now, verse 36. Um, uh, uh, again, uh, this is, uh, well, actually, I think, I think we're in verse 38 now. Sorry. Verse 38. It says this. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Now, I think he picked up in this verse here, I think John picked up the, the quote, in my name. Okay, he's like, in my name. So listen here, it says, uh, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and don't, Jesus said, don't stop him, right? Uh uh, said Jesus, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, truly I, I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Now, I, you know, I think he picked up in the following par the, the paragraph before, like I said, in, in my name, but he totally takes it in the wrong direction. He totally takes it out of context. And we personally must be careful of this. What do I mean? Well, guys, here's the, 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 the some of you belong to denominations like this or so-called non-denominational denominationals that believe this. I used to belong to one. Fervent church is, here it is. Not the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is. <gasps> Shocking, right? Your church is not the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is, right? I mean, anytime, and I know, I mean, uh, we begin to think we are better, we're more important, we belong to the right church, we no longer become servants of all. We no longer become effective. And as long as Jesus is lifted up and glorified, right? As long as they are for us, they're not forgive, for, uh, against us. As long as Jesus is magnified and glorified and, and we believe the truth about who he is and, what, and who he says he is, that he's fully God and fully man, then, guys, they are for us. I think we've had our buns kicked in this world. I think that, I mean, I don't even think Roe versus Wade would have been passed if the church would have been working together for the glorification of Jesus Christ, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and for the magnifying of, of God the Father and, and being spirit-filled, power-filled Christians filled with the Holy Spirit working together, we would have kicked Satan's butt all the way back to hell. And we would be a powerful, powerful, God-fearing nation still. Yet, people either roll up the drawbridges, uh, they build isolation, Jericho walls around their churches and believe they are the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus says, no, guys, if they're, if they're for us, they're not against us. And if they're against us, they're not for us. And guys, in heaven, there'll be every tribe, tongue, and nation, and flavor, and denomination in the world up there. So we need to break down the walls, guys. We need to break down the barriers. We need to follow Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. And work together as the body of Christ, guys, okay? Uh, Paul says this, he says, Who are you to judge another man's servant? Before his Lord, he stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. And remember Joshua and Moses, right? There was a young man, he reported to Moses, he says, uh, he reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. 
after the 70 prophets and the guys he picked out were prophesying, right? And then Joshua, son of Nun, didn't get it either. So, I mean, this is, this is common among disciples, right? Moses' disciple Joshua, the one that would take over for Moses, says, assistant said to, uh, uh, that had been with Moses since his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, stop them, right? But Moses said to them, he said, are you jealous on my account? Are you all the Lord's people? I No, he says, if only all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would place his spirit on all of them. Chuck Swindoll in his book, Growing Strong, said, uh, put a little poem in there. And I love this poem. He says, believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think. Eat what I eat and drink, but what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, and then and only then I'll fellowship with you. I'll add, oh, then and only then can I'll take communion with you. Only and only then will I baptize you. I mean, think about it. On and on the list goes that divides us. And Satan loves it when the body of Christ is completely, completely divided. Guys, we are all just different branches in the same vine. Let me repeat that. We are all just different branches in the same vine. And I used to work as a crusade director. I, w- I-, I worked when we lived in Chiapas, Mexico, Tuxo Gutierrez, Chiapas, Mexico. Uh, I moved my family down there and we were crusade directors. And I worked with 120 pastors. And you know the cool thing about those 120 pastors? They d- decided to lay aside their differences for the glory of God, for, for the exaltation of Jesus Christ, and for His gospel. And we saw 14,500 people saved in that town. Imagine if those guys were still fighting with each other. And, and I saw it in other uh, cities as well. Now, verse 40 says this. It says this in verse 40, it says, For whoever is not against us is for us, and whoever gives us a cup of uh, cold water in in Christ Jesus' name, truly I say to you, we will never lose our reward. Guys, there is no neutrality with Jesus Christ. You are either for Him or against Him, and we'll see that in a, a minute. Everyone better choose, and you better choose the right side because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now verse 41, um, verse 41, he says this, he says, and whoever gives you a cup of water uh, to drink in my name because you belong to Christ. Okay, whoever belongs to Christ. That doesn't, that, that shows no denominational barriers there, right? Truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Guys, this is pretty simple, right? You don't have to do the miraculous. You don't have to be healing people. You don't have to do signs and wonders, right? It's simple serving, Jesus is pointing out here. It's simply giving a glass of cold water in Jesus' name to the hurting, the broken, the outcast, the, the missionaries in the farthest outposts of the, of the earth, guys that are, that are out there alone um, uh, uh, trying to do this. Guys, you, Jesus says, if you do that for my people, man, that those that, that belong to me, guys, those in the Sudan, wherever it may be, right? Those down the street, you do it for me and you will never lose your reward. I love that. 
I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Hey, thank you for joining us today uh, to our sermon, So You Want to Be First. This is part one, and we invite you next week to join us to hear part two. So I'm going to close this in prayer now, but remember you are known and loved. God, thank you so much that as we humble ourselves, God, before you, as we become last and put others first, as we become servant of all like you did, dying on the cross for us, God, we see wondrous things happen in our life. And so, Lord, I pray that everybody that walks away today, Lord, would walk away changed, that they would want to be servants of all. They would want to be like you. It's it's about being like you, Jesus. And so, God, I pray um, as we go throughout our our week this week, Lord, that we would remember, Lord, that we uh, uh, are, are tied to you, we're yoked with you, and as we abide in you, you bless us and you bless the world around us. So, Lord, we offer ourselves to you this week as living sacrifices. Would you, would you bless us and would you go with us? In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and I look forward to seeing you next week. Things have passed away, but your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. Things that we
Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. We really appreciate you guys stopping by. Just want to give you another quick reminder. Make sure you fill out that connection card. We want to get to know you a little bit more. Um, if you guys have any prayer requests, make sure you fill it out on that connection card. And um, we also have a donation link as well if you feel obligated that you would like to uh, help support the ministry here. Um, definitely go ahead and do that as well. Thank you so much for joining us again. You guys are known and loved and have a great week.